great on time good evening everybody i'm excited to have you all join us on this twitter spaces tagged eden superpower of community how to unlucky for your startups i'm excited to have also a good range of speakers and panelists and friends joining us to talk about these exciting conversations and we couldn't do this without the good friends happy face so first of all Super grateful for the platform FFA is, is opening up to us. And by introduction, I'm just going to say my name. My name is Ayoba Mibe. But for my friends across the South African region and the Kenyan region, and even some Nigerians, I say Ayo is okay. So you could just call me Ayo, and I would be the moderator for these spaces. I work at Founders Factory Africa. Um, I work with the investment team finding great opportunities. And this is one of our amazing like channels and platform and community initiative just to get a lot connected to the ecosystem and keep the conversations going with you, our folks on Twitter, which is a very active channel for us to keep the conversations warm and very much personal. So I'm going to open it up for my panelists to do their introductions. I'll start from my colleague at Founders Factory Africa and the Community Catalyst. And Dile, you want to say hi to our community and people joining us this evening? Hi, everybody. I'm Dile Masugu. I lead the community comms team at Founders Factory Africa, and I am uh, the team's number one fan. But more importantly, I consider my primary occupation building community and leveraging relationships and rapport to basically move Africa's tech and innovation journey forward so thanks for having me oh good thanks for making the time and while we talk about community which i bring you on board so thanks for the time love to have you here cheers. Uh, yeah cheers then we'll give it up to tamara for our own brief introduction to you hi everyone my name is tamara Pusibi. i am a startup advisor i'm also community director of unicorn founders africa thank you so much for having me Aya. Great, we're excited to have you, Tamara. Have the conversations go for that. The Dodgers will also understand why you make a very great addition to the team of panelists today. So we're excited to have you and the perspectives you'll be adding to this conversation. So I'll be going to the third panelist. Michael, I want to say hello to the team. Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Kimani. My handle says Kioneki. Kioneki is my Pay name, pen name. I am a creator, but I'm also a co-founder of a startup known as PhoneBank, which is in the crypto blockchain Web3 space. And for this particular session, I am a founder and chairman of the Blockchain Association of Kenya, which is a community slash lobby group from East Africa. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. Michael, did you say your pay name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> cool. Cool. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining. First, I'm excited about the diversity of knowledge. And also, I'm also excited about the just the, the knowledge and also the exposure and of the panelists on this spaces this evening. First, I would want to just go to Andili because of his work at Founders Factory. And not because he's my colleague, it's just because his first question definitely would be great to get pers- perspective on it. And it's asked and delay. We let's just take a keyword from 
the tagline community. From your perspective, what is community? How do we get that? How do we understand what's the broader meaning of that word community and how does it relate to us in this ecosystem? So I'm going to borrow a definition from one of my favorite authors, David Spinks. He's the author of a book called The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage. He's also one of, he's also actually very followable on on, on Twitter or X, <laughs> the platform formerly known as Twitter. And he distills community as a group of people who share a common interest or goal. And he posits that these people interact with each other regularly. So that's key. It, and it, he also posits that communities are built on relationships and community thrives when members feel a sense of belonging. So I would say some key ingredients in defining community and engaging where the community exists is one, do you have a group of people who share a common interest or goal? Two, do those people interact with each other regularly? And then are these communities built on relationships? And here, I think there's a distinction between relationship and say transactional obligation, say, right? So I think there's a distinction there. And then finally, even if you have all of those things, do those people feel a sense of belonging that's, that binds them together and holds them together? If the answer is yes to all those things, then I believe you have a community. That's great. I think that's great because you've broken that word into digestible information pieces. And just the way I like to do the spaces, I like to first get that catch line. And then when we break it down, then I use it to ask my fellow panelists, like other panelists that, okay, Tamara, common group of people, relationship, shared goals of interest. How does that come together when you're looking at a group of startup founders that are primarily building a business for themselves and just solving customers' problems? How does community engage to them? Thank you. So first of all, I would say that community to me is support. And when you gather, when you marry these things together, so that's a group of people, common interests, and a technical system, really a community would help you with support and even reaching out to your customers. For instance, now, if you're with a group of people, different, I'll give an instance of our work as Unicorn Founders Africa. We have some early stage founders. We have some Series A. We have some late stage founders as well. And what that does is for the early stage founders that need to know how things go in the market, how to reach our customers better and how to better serve the market they're currently in, we have people who have done things like that before and they can offer that support in terms of advice, in terms of the network, in terms of even funding sometimes. So really that's what, that's what I would say would tie it all together, support. And that's what a community like that with shared interests, different group of people with shared interests in the same marketplace will do for you, support. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that, Tamara. Because now, Andila, just the word relationship, common group of people, shared interests, and you've now tagged it all up to say the goal there is to support, like leverage each other, and also to reach out because they share common interests among each other. That takes me to, to Michael. And then, Michael, you're the chairman of an association that is a common group of people. They have co-shared interests. And they're literally building on an infrastructure that, that is also about borderless and also sharing things among other people. 
our community being a valuable tool in just passing that message to the mass audience that shared interest, that shared relationship, that shared access to a mass audience? Can you just run us through that another angle of community? Yeah. So I think for us, like we're in the blockchain, crypto, Web3, whatever you want to call it, space. And I think all of us here are probably aware it's quite controversial. Crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin kind of came up in 2013, 2014, 2012. And I think if you ever discovered Bitcoin in the past or even now a blockchain, you, you probably always feel like an outsider or it might get lonely because people are hypercritical. People are, don't take this industry seriously. There's a lot more skeptics. And then you're probably somewhere you've discovered blockchain, crypto. You're trying to figure out, okay, how can I find myself in this space? How can I find myself in this ecosystem? So for me, the Blockchain Association of Kenya, it really emerged from a place of being feeling like an outsider and trying to find a place where you could find others like you so that at the very least you could have some people who didn't think you are crazy. Yeah, Some people who actually thought that something as crazy as Bitcoin could work. And then over time, it's really developed into something about addressing shared problems. Yeah, So you can imagine this is a young, nascent industry. It's considered an outcast. It's early and beginning. It's controversial. So not only are you trying to find a place where you can find similar-minded people who have seen what you have seen, but you're also looking now the next step is then how can we get together and address some shared problems? These shared problems could be something like how do we develop the market from where it is right now to somewhere where it's, let's say, 10x, 20x bigger? Or how can we develop this market so that we can find opportunities or attract capital so that it can create opportunities for us? How can we address some of these problems such as scams? Yeah, and misinformation. So for me, I think it started out with being being an outsider and trying to find similar-minded people. And then it went on into becoming about, okay, now that we have found this thing and we feel it has potential, how can we work together to develop this market? How can we work together to address some of the misconceptions around the technology or the infrastructure or the industry? And then that becomes really a point of this is what binds us together. We are outcasts, yeah? So we, we kind of have to stick together. And then how can we develop from here? How can we bring the future forward, yeah? So we have to work together. We have to find a way to align on some values and some vision and then work towards that vision together, yeah? Great. Thanks, thanks, Michael. But I don't think Bitcoin or Web3 or crypto founders are outcasts. I, I like them, but I think we'll, we'll leave that for another day because they are my folks and a lot of people in the house. Yeah, are your friends too? They should be. I'll just take this to, to back to Tamara because he's mentioned, bit, Michael has mentioned in the community of founders or entrepreneurs or passionate people about a particular infrastructure. And those people are leveraging their infrastructure to be able to build a borderless world, to be able to build 
great products, great innovations that more people could leverage on. So take it to you, Tamara. When you lead the founder community, which again, it's it's open. It's a lot more of different sectors, different founder archetypes are all in that space. How do you how does how does that come together again? Because I would think that community is a common interest, shared group, everybody's doing almost the same thing. So we have we speak the same language. How does that now relate to a founder group that has fintech, blockchain, um, health tech, edtech, and all those kind of what's the common factor in that community? And how do you power that common factor in that community? Thanks, Aya, for that question. So while we may be tech founders in different sectors, like you mentioned earlier, fintechs, agritechs, edtechs, our common interest is that we are in similar markets. Okay. And doing business, for instance, now, I, we started, when we started Unicorn Founders, it really was just the Nigerian market before it expanded to different countries in Africa. But it's the same similar markets in Nigeria. And doing business here can be quite different. So... Putting people together with that same common interest, oh, we are in the same market looking to succeed and survive in this kind of market. How are you doing it? You could have that network of people asking, okay, how are you doing it? How are you running things? How are you dealing with government regulations? And different questions like that are founders come up. So we have that that shared goal of the similar market. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that does. Definitely a follow-up. So let me, let me bring Andile into this conversation. Because Andile is a community catalyst. An interesting one because it works in the fund and is is the as he mentioned is the cheerleader of the whole fund and its employees and, and whatnot. And you know when you think about community, can community also be inward inside an organization? And also when you're building a community, what are the viable tools? What makes you begin to now leverage that node or that kind of connecting device like a bluetooth to find like oh who are the people that also could share my values who also have similar kind of like challenges on the outward part so first question is how do you be a community in what in an organization and how do you now begin to leverage community tools or what are the tools to now begin to find people with like common interests co-shared values and then begin to piece them together so i'm going to be slightly contrarian and maybe even controversial by saying community is not about transactions. That I'll also say that it's actually not about numbers. I'll also say that it's not about marketing. And that's not to say I disagree with anything that's been said so far. I just think in my, and this is not just community theory, that is a growing area of psychology and sociology. So the tenets of, the, of these ideas that are not new to me, and I'm not making them up as I go along, but in my experience, certainly my experience underscores those positions in that Being an African, it's fair to say that we don't enjoy, at least within the realm of business, the high trust culture dynamic of certain Western markets, right? And this is for numerous reasons, right? There are many complex reasons why it's sometimes easier to trust an outsider from the UK or the US than it is to trust a brother or sister from a neighboring village or a neighboring town in your own country, right? And I'm not going to go into the complex psychological psych, psychodyna- psychological dynamics and sociological dynamics for that reality. I think li- any African listening to this knows what I'm talking about, right? And so if that's the reality we are all trying to build a future in, a progressive future that is characterized by 
socioeconomic growth and personal progress, both personally and financially. The question is, how do you overcome that? And most of us come to the table with, let's do business together. Let's work on projects together. Let's get this bag together. Let's do this together. And that's not, there's nothing wrong per se with that. But my observation has been that the world typically runs on relationships and deference that is curated on the basis of the strength of relationships. That doesn't, and some of the biggest deals, some of the most life-changing opportunities are of the strength of strong relationships and rapport built often over many years. And as a quasi-journalist, media maker, media owner turned corporate player within VC, I can tell you now that there are so many, there are so many anecdotes in my personal history as a professional that have everything to do with the slow and steady curation of relationship and rapport that had that completely outstripped things I brought to the table pragmatically as a business person or my skills, et cetera. All of these are factors, but often it comes down to the relationship. And relationship is also a, pre, so it's a proxy for the question of trust, right? Who do you ultimately trust your life with, your money with, your children with, right? And the answer to those questions often lead to outcomes who you end up doing business with, building with, building a future with. And so I think what tends to happen is founders tend to come together because of some kind of pragmatic sensibility. When I can tell you what you should come to the table with is an open question, which is how can I, how am I uniquely positioned to serve and do that consistently in a way that earns me the right to, well, not even earns me the right, that puts me in a position to, to have a relationship with people that then turns into something more potentially later, even before I can see it, taste it, before we even have the frame of reference for whether or not that's what we're building together or not. Now, I know that is that sounds touchy-feely, but I know enough about Tamara and Michael and their practice as professionals, certainly more about Michael than Tamara, to know that they're not just here because they have something to offer, Right. They're not just here because they're the best in the world at what they do, and they're clearly some of the best in the world at what they do. But they're also here because of how well and how intuitively they have worked community as a practice into their day-to-day lives. They haven't just decided to start associations and put people together to achieve objectives. They've sometimes even subconsciously recognized the need to build relationships, build trust, so that we can build other things on top of that. Thank you. And I don't know if any of the, I would love to have question, ask questions. I don't know if any of the panelists or even the audience have some questions or some thoughts or even some opposing views to how what Andili just said or how he like, passed some of his views across. I would love to take that. If yeah, Michael, did you unmute for that? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I think Andile really hit the nail on the head when he said relationships. Like, I, I would really attribute a lot of the success I've had in my career. And I'm someone who's built a career from online, like from joining Twitter as far back as 2013 to meeting my first mentor who opened up doors of opportunities that I cannot explain to people how. Like, a lot of people, I think, may not appreciate how much of what they see of myself or the work that I do or everything that I touch. 
how much of that is built on relationships. Yeah, I think there's a lot about the world. I don't know if it's the internet. I don't know if it's post-corona. But there's something about the world that for a long time has felt a bit cold. And this is what Andilia describes as transactional. Yeah, And this can be as something as simple as given on my Twitter, right? Someone may just reach out with a DM, someone I've never met, someone who just recently, recently started following me, and they'll DM me and ask me for a favor. And I never look twice at such messages. Yeah, but someone like Andila of people like even Abraham who's on this call and several other people who I have established a long relationship, a long-time relationship with, are people I would like if they asked me to join our Twitter spaces two days before, I'd happily do that for them. And it's not because they're going to pay me any dollar amount. It's not because I'm returning a favor or anything. It's really about the relationship we have developed over time. So I do think I agree with Andile completely that, and I know he's calling it Philly stuff. I like to think of it as it's the invisible, the unseen. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, relationship building that goes into what we see out here, what we see out there. And I just wanted to agree with Andile completely that relationship building is critical. And I've been feeling a lot that the internet has gotten more and more transactional. It's all about how many likes can you get, how many retweets. And what you don't see is all the DMs that are happening. So you may see a tweet, you may see a blog post, but you know what you don't see? It's all the conversations happening in the DMs, whether it's on Slack or on Twitter or on WhatsApp, that are supporting what it is that you see out there. And I have personally found success through being a relationship builder first from the early days of our community. And those relationships paying dividends up to today from as far back as 2015. And I've really become a strong believer in relationships. This is how I do my business development. This is how I scout for business opportunities. And it's all not rosy, yeah? Because the world out there is cold. A lot of times I clash with people who have, who don't share the same values. Maybe they are transactional first, but I am always relationship first. And I completely agree with Andelia that when you build something from a relationship first foundation, it tends to pay off in the long run. It pays off dividends in the long run. But it's really difficult for me to stand here and say, oh, that everyone should do it this way versus this way, because I'm also in that journey. But I myself, I am convinced that this is the way to, to build businesses of the future. This is how to build communities. This is how to succeed. Yeah, There's just something about the internet that is, is pushing people to want to connect with others. So I have doubled down on relationship building, and I think it's really the foundation of community. So I just wanted to agree with Andile on, on that point. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for that. I think for us, we definitely recognize, or I do recognize the value of that relationship piece that you did mention. I think it's catalyzed a lot of conversations for people. It's catalyzed opportunities. But in the broader context of the community i think i would want to also lead oh tamara just dropped off but i also want to lean on andile to say andile when wow you can use relationships to get dynamic people on podcast which i would like you to talk about because i know it's your one one of your most solid tools in building viable relationships why well, it's great to use relationships to to get people on podcast and get them to share their perspectives 
in a very clear and unbiased way, just being open and very much conversational. What does it take to get the audience to be able to get plugged into that podcast? What does it get the audience to get plugged into those newsletters? And I think a lot of founders in this com- in, in these spaces want to know, how do I catalyze a community of super fans, friends, and value-aligned partners, which we, the best word to call them is customers, on my product, leveraging what the tools I just mentioned are community tools. So can we just chat with that one too? I tweeted the other day, I think it was Sunday. I'm just trying to find, yeah. I tweeted that views, listens, subs, that those things don't equal connection and support from fans or customers. And I was actually speaking to media makers. So I often sometimes have these brief streams of consciousness where I'm speaking to fellow media makers or media owners and and, uh, on the internet. I was speaking to them primarily, but I think it's true here too, where I think we, the internet gives us the impression that we can measure when we are winning at networking. And the proxies for those wins are the views, the listens, the the subscribers. And I think to riff off what Michael was saying, that's not the same as connection. That's not the same as support. That's not the same as who will, who, if I host an event, will attend, even if they find out two minutes before. Who, if I need to, and this is a real thing, I had to, I've had the privilege of finding out what, who will support me when I need to raise, do a GoFundMe for my brother's operation because my family's running out of cattle to sell. I've, and when I say I've tested these, the difference between what it means to have a follower, or a viewer, a listener, or a subscriber, and what it means to actually have a true connection and relationship with people that translates into the real world. I'm using, I, I have practical touch points where it translates into real opportunities to advance my career. I have, you talk about podcasting. The reason I'm so passionate about podcasting is twofold, not just because I enjoy audio production and I enjoy the media and the format. I think it's one of the smartest ways to systematize, to systematically work community practice into your life. And I think podcasting is one way, but there are other ways. And I think that's the challenge for anyone listening, particularly founders. How are you creating systematic ways to ensure that community as a value is part of your practice, right? Because most of us won't wake up in the morning asking questions like, how can I help? Who has problems I'm uniquely positioned to solve? How can I add value? What can I do for you? What's Most of us are thinking, what's in it for me? How can you help me get what I want? And that's because we're all human beings. But if you're truly working if you're truly needing, if you're truly desirous of creating community, which is really a question of building relationships and building rapport, and that give you leverageable, that that are leverageable, to do a blank check, you know, myriad of things that you could that you are trying to do, build your startup or grow your business and find new partners and business people. If that's truly what you want to do, then you need to invest in mechanisms in your life that institutionalize that mainstream in your practice and in the ecosystem, community as a value. I found that podcasting is a very powerful way of doing that because podcasting, unlike creating TikToks, is antiviral, right? You're not guaranteed algorithmic support the moment you publish a podcast. If you do not connect truly 
with a value proposition, you're not truly adding value to an audience member who then validates that by subscribing, giving you permission to interrupt their day with a notification to listen some more. And by the way, a podcast will almost never grow unless you truly act activate a network effect that is truly get that other person to talk about your podcast to someone else and so organically grow. Podcasts are actually, in my view, from a media format perspective, the closest that comes to how, as a media format, how communities actually grow in real life via word of mouth, via doing the doing right by people and the word about that getting out to other people, that value extending and deepening with time, with reference worthiness and share worthiness. And so podcasts engender themselves. So it's not just about how do I start a podcast? It's podcasting because you recognize that community is a value. Hopefully you care about that as a moral individual, but some of us aren't connecting at that level. But hopefully you care enough to recognize that if you don't build relationships and find systematic ways of building relationships and scaling those relationships and the impact of those relationships, which is the other thing podcasts do, then you're missing out on a whole world of commercial viability and sustainability over time. And when it, last thing I'll say about podcasting before I pass the mic back is the great thing about a podcast is there's that 15 or 20 minutes before you record it and the 15 to 20 minutes after you record it that unless you've recorded a podcast, you'll never know about. That's the 15 or 20 minutes you're connecting with an individual in a way that's deeper than most people connect with founders they're trying to convince to join their portfolios customers they're trying to convince to buy their product you are actually getting you're actually connecting in the most human fashion then if you do the, if that 20 minute that 20 to 30 minutes goes well you spend about 30 minutes to an hour with this individual hopefully having some of the most insightful exchanges you might have in the realm of digital captured on a piece of medium then post that you guys have this reflective back and forth sealing that that bond that you've made as you've both created something and often saying things that would never make it onto the podcast in the first place, deepening the sense of camaraderie and trust. And then more often than not, that might be followed up with an in-person meeting of some kind when time and, and opportunity permits. And by the time you do that, guess what? You have a serious relationship on your hand that is highly leverageable and that can open a number of doors you could not have begun to think possible before you started. And that's just one podcast of potentially hundreds some of us could some of us have made over our careers which is no small accident then that we're on podcasts like this or on on platforms like this talking about the strength of community so i know i'm speaking long but i'm really passionate that people understand that yes there is a there is transactional potential in podcasting or be trying to integrate community into your practice but you but don't lead with the transactional find ways to ingrain community practice into your in, into your everyday practice as a founder, investor, venture builder, whatever. Okay, thank you. So I would like to just add to what Andile has said, especially about vanity metrics and the way the internet is set up right now. And I want to say this to any anybody looking to build a community. Please don't focus on vanity metrics. It won't pay off for you. Focus on quality conversations and quality outputs. I'll give an instance. When, we, when I was setting up Unicorn Founders Africa, I didn't focus on numbers. I was very particular about curating the kind of people I wanted in that community because I wanted quality conversations. I wanted quality exchange, exchanges. 
And we even made the platform to be quite semi-formal because I've I come I'd come to realize that when you put people in a life-changing people in that sense group in a place, put them in a place and their conversations are flowing out, you hear so many things that would help you, help your business, help your startup. I made that semi-formal and in fact, it really helps. So we don't I never focused on that numbers or 20,000 people joined, 100,000 people joined. It was really quality from day one, and it has paid off over the past two years. We grew from a, a group of founders to a network, a private network of investors and operators and ecosystem. That was how we did it, focusing on quality from day one. The value that, value of extra that people had to bring, especially to our early stage founders in the community. I just wanted to share that, that don't be focused so much on on vanity metrics or, or we have 100,000 people in our community. Who Are they, are they contributing? Are they adding value? Think about those things and curate your curate the community you are building that way. Thank you. Great, thanks, thanks, Michael. I think we and Dili, I always want to get and they talk about podcasting on any public forum because I just have to give him the mic and put the word podcasts. And Dili is having a very good day just explaining the world at which podcasts help help pass a message and not just for YouTube record something for people to either stumble on or source for, but for you to actually build a great connection with the person that is your co-podcaster or your guest or your host and form a personal relationship from there. But I'm going to ask you, Michael, as the chairman of the blockchain like community and association, what are the mediums, what are the community building mediums you use? Are you also a big podcast person? And aside from podcast, but even let's just start with, let's start with podcast first. For podcast, how do you look out for people that would be great for a topic area, not just because they are seasoned practitioners in those fields, but how do you, again, look out for great podcast channels that you would have a great sense of connection and also record a very good stream of like resource that could be that could stand the test of time. I'd love you to kind of chip in on that one, Michael. Okay. I think for me, I mean, if you're asking how I, I decide which which podcasts I'm going to follow and listen to over and over, there's so much on the internet nowadays. I think there's been an explosion of content in audio and video form. And I don't know if this is my personality. Possibly everyone has a different way. But for me, I always size up the energy. I'm always looking for authenticity. Uh, like I'm always trying to size up the energy of the host, are they authentic? And that's what really I use. And I'm able to connect with this. Like one of my favorite podcasts is Arsenal, Arsenal Vision Podcasts. And it's by an ex-actor. And I don't know how to explain it really. There's a lot of Arsenal podcasts out there. But this one in particular, there's just some vibration that I relate with. And maybe this really goes back to the medium, I think you asked me the medium that I used to, to connect with people, even in my journey building the Blockchain Association of Kenya. And I've always been a great fan of conversations. Yeah, I think offline, offline conversations, online conversations, I really love talking to people. I have a background in, in research work where my job was mostly to talk to people and understand them to a point where we could design products that were that really captured the essence of the problems they were trying to address. I think some people have also told me I make them feel comfortable. I make them feel comfortable and want to open up. So I've really leaned on and leveraged conversations as a way to, to build relationships because 
you'd be surprised the amount of things that people can tell you. Like <laughs> you, you could meet someone randomly on a meetup at a meetup. And if you connect with them really well, they could give you quote unquote, what I call intelligence, like business intelligence, like information that is not out there in the public, but hearing it from someone could be an edge in let's say the next decision that you want to make, whether it's a personal career decision or some strategy you're implementing for a business, or in my case, even for the Blockchain Association of Kenya. So I remember as far back as 2016, the, my method of building this community, the Blockchain Association of Com Community was through meetups. I started with just meetups of about 10 to 20 people, and I was really persistent with that. Yeah, and over time, those meetups became a way for these people who are in the Web3, who are outcasts, to come and find some solace. Honestly, sometimes I even describe it as I felt like I was building something like a church or something like an AA. So I think for me, conversations are really powerful. And what I've discovered is that what I'm learning right now is that people are, people say, there are things people will say in public, people, there are things people will tweet, but there are things they will tell you in the DMs. There are things they will tell you when you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation that they will, they're not going to tweet out there. So I really think it's important for people to learn to connect with each other. And I've found conversations to be really powerful ways of connecting with people and also learning a lot more about the world over and beyond all that is out there on the public timelines. Yeah, so I think conversations have been my medium of choice for, for growing a community, for learning, to implement strategy for community, I've also leveraged these conversations for my business development work with PhoneBank. I don't know. I'm just a great believer. And I think the internet, the internet, it's, I, I, I'll keep going back to this. I feel like the internet is becoming a cold, a really cold place. It's like people are not really connecting with each other. And in turn, that has led to people really seeking connections. Yeah, like people really want to feel like they're connecting to another human being. So if you can find a way to connect with someone and conversations are really good for this, you can unlock so much, like relationships that can yield dividend over a decade. You can unlock information, what I call intelligence, that may not be publicly out there and so forth. Yeah. Cool, cool. Thanks. I think we've really been, that's what actually about this space is we've been very open about the information we know as community. Excuse me to use the word veterans and you would have built great successes on the community frameworks but i think but for me i have a question for tamara and this goes straight into some sort of attraction on why some people are in these spaces like you you have a great product if you say so yourself or you have a great business or you're thinking through an ideation in mind and you think for this to come to life investors will be particularly investors will be a could use here investors would be a great the investors would be a great addition to existing things you've done to give you the capital for you to be able to scale this and get more customers and definitely target growth and expand and we've been talking about relationships and a lot more personal connections and also not being transactional but the truth of it is investor and startup relationship is transactional there's money involved money for equity, then another person buys the equity and gives you returns. So Tamara, 
I know this community thing is quite interesting, but we want to raise money. So how do we manage this community approach and a couple of nuggets and interesting feedback we've got in here with the real world of raising investor capital? How, how do we piece this together, still leveraging our community of people we're exposed to? Thank you for that question, Ayo. First of all, I just want to recognize someone on this call, Mayowa Ayodeji, who is a sessions leader at Unicorn Founders Africa. Hi, Mayowa. Okay, back to your question. This is something I advise a lot of clients, a lot of clients and our startups in the spaces is to work on number one, your positioning, and number two, your brand visibility. I hope you can all hear me. Your positioning and yeah, your positioning and your brand visibility. Because there's a lot of, let me use the word noise out there. And it might seem it might seem really it might seem really weird, but sometimes the people who are the most visible get the most opportunities. So while you're leveraging on communities, while you're working on delivering value, it's very important as a startup to work on positioning yourself effectively and work on your visibility. Because even okay, even as a startup advisor, and sometimes I have to having to work with investors, you find I, I work with startups too, and I see a lot of great businesses. They are the right they are the right place for investment at this point. They, are, they have that sweet spot for investors. But you're not even getting any because you don't see them, really. So work on your position and work on your visibility. So even if you're doing all this, providing all this value for people, value for your customers, value for the users, work on being more visible. It would help out in the long run. Thank you. Great. And delay you work for a fund. Same question. As a founder, podcast, share your information, share your com- share your information with audiences share it with people share it with investors but you still want to get investors to bring in capital so how do you balance the wordings how do you balance the perspective between traditional transactional and also non-transactional but transactional in the community approach i'm going to introduce a few ideas and i'll try and do it quickly so if you've got a pen or a pen handy, it'll be helpful. This is a framework we use at Founders Factory Africa, and I believe it's a framework any founder, any investor, any venture builder, frankly, anybody in business can use. I, you said investors basically want a return and founders basically just need the money in order to grow, etc. That's true. What I think we overlook is the role of trust in that relationship, right? On one hand, we all intuitively know, right? the awkward truth that certain people who don't deserve, say, the finance to make something happen, we all intuitively know that more often than not, some of the some undeserving people access the resources and the support they need, not on the basis of merit or even how visible they are, but really on the strength of who they are and who they're connected to or who they're in relationship to. Now, this is obviously an awkward truth we struggle with because the more privileged we are, the more intent we are to ensure that everyone thinks we're, we're getting ahead because, because of our brilliance and of, because of merit, right? Which is often true, but not always entirely the case. So I'll put that to one side. What we do at Founders Factory Africa is think about community practice. I think they're basically four pillars. The first one is newsroom. The second one is IP practice. The second, the third one is fellowship. And the last one is content marketing or an engine of some kind. The first one, I think, speaks to what we've been talking about. Like what mechanisms can you use to consistently serve publicly, serve out loud in a way that is 
that is, has content depth, high levels of relevance and usefulness and long tail shareability and usefulness. And sometimes that usefulness can deepen over time, even if you shared a year ago. That's the kind of content I've come to expect from people like Tamara and Michael. Michael has been writing. Yes, he's really big on, the con on relating in person, which is huge. But I never met Michael in person for the first five or six years I knew him and was actually in relationship with him like for two or three years before we actually met in person and closed that loop. I think we, it was many years even before we spoke on a call together. But what he was doing was serving me. What he didn't realize is he didn't have to be in South Africa or Zimbabwe or the UK where I was based in order to serve me. He had found smart ways to serve me via a platform like this on Twitter. He remains one of the most relevant human beings to follow on Twitter, bar none, bar few, should I say. And that's because he is constantly, he is intuitively finding ways to be useful, to distill insight and learnings and new in information even embarrassing aspects of, of his learning journey, setbacks even. He's constantly reflecting in public in a way that is super useful to anyone who follows him on Twitter and especially useful to anyone who reads him in long form in all the places he's shown up as a journalist and as a contributor. So for those of you who think the only way you can do this is through podcasting, Michael Kimani is an example of that, is an example that's not true. Tamara too, I have never met in person. Right, except for one time before in the lead up to preparing for this podcast for this uh, Twitter space. But she has been serving me from a distance. I've been observing her as a, a fellow community builder in the ecosystem, following her, her her Twitter her Twitter shares and other work all over the internet. These two are individuals showing us what it means to have a newsroom. You don't need to have a team, a managing editor, and a whole staff. You can be your own newsroom. You can lead from the front as a founder. You can make this a cultural tenant of how you lead your startup or your organization. Think about the work you do as a newsroom to the rest of the organization. IP practice is the next step there where you're now not just sharing what's happening. You are starting to distill insights and learnings, and you're starting to codify those insights, and you're starting to bring sense-making aspects that are unique to your purview and your experience and everything you're learning. That's IP practice. For some people, that expression will look like a think piece, a report, even something as basic as a really well-curated infographic on Twitter or a, a carousel on Instagram or LinkedIn. IP practice. Done consistently over time, you are serving the ecosystem in ways that is just as valuable as a professor at some of the foremost universities in anywhere in Africa or the world. Then you have fellowship, which is our first love, I think Michael and I definitely, our first love is people, meeting people, connecting with people, touching, connecting, first person, like rapport building. And unfortunately, that doesn't scale as well as possible because we're just human beings and there's only so many people we can meet and only so many places we can be. But fellowship is important. And I think Tamara and the work her organization is doing is proof of that. You need to close the loop in opportunities for people to meet and connect. In, in human terms, right? You can do that online on Twitter spaces like this, but you have to find ways for people to touch skin, to, to share space, to get intimate and close the loop and seal that relationship and build rapport on that basis. The third part, the fourth part is the more, the less interesting part, but the very necessary business part, which is once you leverage, once, once you have all those three up front, you can start to channel them into a content marketing engine. 
And that's where, if you have on your team, a re- what, that's where a really great marketer on your team comes into the fore, where they're starting basically leverage all the community building practice and sales enablement practice that has come before in order to convert, to, to basically create a pipeline of qualified leads and conversions. And that's the part I think most people tend to focus on without looking at the rest. And I think, yeah, the, the, let me stop there because I, I mean, I could go on for a while, but th- those three things, newsroom, IP practice, fellowship, and then leveraging those three into a third, into a fourth pillar, content marketing. I, I think if people follow that, that playbook, there's lots of versions of success we're going to start to see across the ecosystem. Great. And really a quick one before we go. And then audience, please, we would love your submissions. We would love you to please ask questions, share your feedback. There is, there is a Twitter thread that has been opened up just below the spaces on the Founders Factory Africa Twitter feed. Please do go share your questions there. You can also request for the mic. We'll be happy to share that with you in the final minute so you could ask your questions to another panelist. And I think you have a question for Tamara or Michael. Actually, I'm just curious to know, for example, Tamara, what comes to mind as you, as I was speaking, like what sparked off in your mind as I was speaking? Because I, I can't see you, but I feel like you were nodding or saying amen in places. <laughs> okay, so first of all, I really wanted to add to what you had said before about position yourself to be a valuable individual. So I just want to share a quick story about how my advisory firm started a few years ago on Twitter, interestingly. So I used to, back in the day, about six, seven years ago, I would always share information about businesses, how your business can improve, how to improve your business, how to work with your startups and all of that. And there was this particular customer, there's this particular person on the tail asking for, oh, who can help me do this? And surprisingly, a lot of people tagged my handle. I was like, wow, okay, let me go reach out to this person. And I reached out to the person and interestingly enough, I could help him what he needed. And from that person recommended another person to me. Then when I had done the works with the first one, two, three people, I said, okay, I have to go back and learn this professionally and do this well. And I learned that professionally, structured it well. And that has been my advisory firm, Atos Business, for the past, we've worked officially for the past five to six years. So what I just wanted to share, contribute to what Andelia has said about, you know, working and being valuable, being an actual valuable person, working on sharing as much as possible, as you, or, or sharing what you share, your learnings, share your fails, your wins. A lot of people like to just hide their their failures, their business failures, and just share only their business wins. I, I thought business, my advisory firm was not the first business I started, and I'd always shared, okay, this is what happened in my previous business, this was the lessons I'd learned. And those, those over the years have endeared customers to me. So when I was setting up Unicorn Founders Africa as a community, it was easy to bring people on board because they have known me from these previous things. So it's just very important as an individual to just position yourself to be more valuable. Don't do it for a transactional level. So don't start from there. Start from sharing as much as you start from sharing your learning. Start from, start from you no, know, just share your knowledge. It would help you and help you go far. Thank you. Thank you. That. So I uh, yeah, sure. You know, I'm just I'm inspired now just listening to Tamara share from her experience. I feel like we we can't end this this the space without Michael sharing some of his gems from his experience because but maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on blast a little bit, Michael. I hope you don't mind. What people don't recognize is before Founders Factory Africa, it Founders Factory Africa before Founders Factory Africa had a 
community practice. Our community practice is really only about two years old. When I first joined to, to help flesh out the strategy and activate the strategy, I had two people who really early on, we had an amazing team now who I won't name, but they're amazing. But early on, there was Alessi Momwanga and there was Michael Kimani, who both played such pivotal roles in helping us shape what an institutionalized notion around community practice that is pragmatically driven and that's pragmatically underpinned by the need to deliver on business objectives, what that would look like, even though we're a business and we have to, we're all convicted by these sensibilities. And I can tell you that Michael, this was even before we'd actually met in person, off the back of a four or five year relationship that he and I had built over the internet, he had, as a contributor, as fellow journalists, as co-contributors on the various platforms, we'd never met. He was one of the people I knew I needed to enlist in helping us figure this thing out strategically, but also tactically. And I can tell you that in the few months he joined us and, had, and then left to go be part of the co-founding team of the current startup he's with, in that little time, the number of times we got people and I don't mean this, and I'm not lying when I say this, billionaires um, starting to follow us on our LinkedIn, asking who's behind those socials. We had founders and investors and all asking the same thing. Who's behind all the work you guys are doing? And I share this and almost, and I want to pass the mic to him because there are versions of this example that have been true for him for in previous projects. And I just want everyone listening to trust that when you invest in these areas in the way we're suggesting, there will be pragmatic wins that I can't tell you. I, and all I know is that you will invest in network effects that deliver predictably, unpredictably over time. And so, Michael, I hope I have embarrassed you enough, but I feel like <laughs> I've learned so much from you in this area. And I, I need you to at least say what I'm saying is true because people won't believe me. No, it is, it is absolutely true, Andile. I think... Look, I think what I'm really picking up from your message is what you've said is something we both agree on, which is serving fast. I think you've highlighted it by saying a lot of people in your newsroom, IP practice, fellowship, content marketing framework, they always end up starting with the last content marketing engine. And unfortunately, even this is about is being disrupted by AI and people being able to generate content using bots. I really think there's something about serving people that has some exponential type of reward. To be honest, Andile, sometimes I think it is magical. I think it is is spiritual. I feel it doesn't make logical sense. Personally, I should say I've never really looked for a job in my almost nine-year career since I joined Twitter in 2013. I've never literally had to apply for a job. Somehow, all these career opportunities, even my co-founding opportunity, have all come through my networks on Twitter. And really the secret sauce to my Twitter has always been serving others. I identified there was a gap. I identified there was a group of foreigners, a group of people who were interested in the innovation that was happening in Kenya, but there wasn't really much information. I looked around and I saw all I could see were a lot of news articles, but there wasn't really a level of depth of offering value. And that's why I decided to play in that space. I decided, okay, I'm just going to take my everyday interactions with people in this market that is considered an innovation hub of East Africa. 
and even a fintech hub of Africa. And I'm going to start sharing with people and see. Actually, I just decided I'm just going to start sharing it as a way to bookmark this type of knowledge for myself. And surprisingly, over time, it has built up to a really strong network of people from all across the world. And I cannot describe how it has been able to pay dividends. Even meeting you, Andile, joining you at Founders Factory Africa and helping you with the project at Founders Factory Africa when you're building out. So I, I love what you are working on at Founders Factory Africa because you are turning these this serving elements into a strategy that could support a business, a venture. Yeah, I guess I put it down really to serving people first. I think when you serve people, when you provide value to people, there's just some way that comes back to you like a boomerang in tenfold, in multiples. Yeah, and like you're saying, it may seem unintuitive, but it does have pragmatic benefits. And I'm a living example of this. Yeah. And Dile, back to you. Let the church say amen. Amen. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you so much, everyone, for taking the time. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. And thanks, Tamara. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me. Michael, all love, brother. Thank you. Peace, man.